Well, this is a sad moment for me. It's been such a blessing to be with you all for over six months now and growing a lot and seeing a lot of my weaknesses and just rejoicing to see God at work at Park Hills. Thank you all for those of you that have housed me, for those of you that had me over for dinner, for those of you that watched Star Trek with me. That was great. Star Trek was a good time. And thank you for all the other good things that, that we got to do to bring glory to God's name. I have seen God at work at Park Hills. Where have I seen him work? I'm going to give you a few, just a few things that came to mind this morning. It's in Jordan, staying up late to do her devotions. God is at work in Jordan's life. It's in Diane and Mike who want to point her daughter to Jesus, and so they buy her commentaries of the Bible. It's in Dad and Patty who seek to disciple their daughters, and so they make a commitment to strive and seek to do uh, family devotions and read through the book of the Bible together and discuss it and pray together once a week. It's Diane's husband. It's uh, Diane Echeverria seeking to invest in the girls at this church by meeting with them Sunday evenings and teaching them to make Jesus more valuable than anything else. God is at work at Park Hills. It's Diane's husband, Samuel, and it's John Dykes who meet weekly to hold each other accountable and strive after God and pray together and read a book together and struggle to be men of God. That is God at work at Park Hills Baptist Church. Praise his name for that. And there's more. It's Barbara and TJ, college students that have decided to make the local church a priority for themselves. Uh, when, in a time when our culture and even maybe part of uh, evangelicalism says to college students, leave home, leave your church behind, go start afresh. Leave those people that love you, that care for you, that, that can protect you, that can raise you up and nurture you through this transitional time, and just go live it out. It's college years. Praise God for working at Park Hills and raising up and working in Barbara and Teacher's life to seek after him, to be, to be committed here. It's, it's, it's God at work when Barbara's playing the piano, and it's God at work when TJ is investing in other people at church. There's more that I could tell you. There's Pastor Samuel, and when he seeks to be a man that puts his family first by giving time to Anka to have time for herself, staying home with the kids. The world doesn't teach that to, to, to us. It's God that's teaching us at Park Hills to make his great name. It's Rico and Vanessa coming to Park Hills, seeking to find out who is this God of Christianity. That is God working in our midst here at Park Hills. Praise his name for that. I could keep going. Susan caring for her mom, and Andy and Julie striving to be godly parents by consistently dis disciplining their, children, their young son, and Bob Reese spending hours and hours and hours preparing to teach faithfully his Sunday school class. And I could keep going. But we've got to get to Romans today. Thank you for having me here, and I pray that I'll be able to see you soon with my godly wife-to-be, Daniela. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8, page 981 in, in the Pew Bibles. The last two sermons that I have been with you, we went, we, we've been going through uh, Romans chapter 8. And today we're going to continue on in verses 15 and 16. But I'm going to read more of it just so we can remember 
and refresh our minds and let the word of God be spoken and heard and um, warm our hearts. Romans chapter 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death for what the law was powerless to do. And that it was weakened by the sinful nature God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so He condemned sin and sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin. Yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And here's our text for today. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. But you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are, God's, now if we are his children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Amen. This is God's word for us today. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your grace that is never ceasing and is so deep. And that your mercies are new today as they have always been. And that you are a God that seeks to work in the lives of sinners and those that are far from you and those that are your children, reassuring us that we are yours. Speak to us now through your word, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Rejection is a, is a, is a reality of life. Rejection is hard. 
We have experienced it. Every single person on the face of this planet has experienced and will experience rejection. And not just that, but every single person on the face of this planet will reject somebody else. And so humanity is stuck in this cycle of fear of being rejected. Whether it's husbands rejecting their wives because they don't look a certain way anymore, or wives rejecting their husbands because they don't love them anymore and they're obsessed with themselves and other things in life, which leads to what our society has offered as a solution, which is divorce, and raising our divorce rate, which is soaring today, which leads to our children experiencing rejection and this instability of, of, of an understanding and knowing and not sure if their, if their parents love them or if they are going to be accepted. And then they go to school, and our schools are filled with kids that have standards for one another, rejecting one another if they don't meet those standards, and you battle this fear of rejection. Rejection is all around us, and it produces uncertainty. But not just that, it's because we experience so much of this rejection in our life with one another that we experience it, and we bring it into our, into our relationship with God. It seeps into how we think God is. At age 17, the Lord had saved me. I was in high school, and I had been living for myself, and God had, had told me that I was not living for him, and I didn't know him, and I was doing all things for myself. And in his grace, he chose to save me. He chose to lead me to give my life to him and trust him and trust what Jesus done on the cross. And for the first two years of my Christian walk with him, my journey with, 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 with God, it was great. It was sweet. And it was scary. Because I struggled to know and to believe that my salvation was for real and permanent. And so there were times when I just couldn't believe that I could, that I'm saved. I, I, I kept sinning over and over again. I kept asking forgiveness, but then running back and running back to sin. And then so fear of sinning too much or of maybe tricking myself and deceiving myself like I did before I was 17, thinking that I was a Christian and it was, it was a hard two years. So how do you know, how can you be certain that God won't leave you? And how can you be certain that you won't leave God? And that's what, that's what this text is all about. We have been looking at in Romans 8 for the past two sermons how when a person comes to Christ and, and puts their faith in Christ, they are saved from the punishment and the wrath of God. And Pope Paul says in the beginning of chapter 8, there is now no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And you are new in Christ and you have the Spirit of God living in you so that you're fulfilling the law. And then last time we were together, we looked at chapter, uh, chapter 8, verse 12 through 14, where we realized, how does God assure his people? Because God gives assurance. He wants us to be secure and sure. It's because he gives us the desire and the passion to fight sin in our life and to take it seriously and kill it, mortifying the flesh and realizing that it's the, it's the Spirit of God leading us to fight sin in a way that glorifies God and makes us treasure God more. 
So today we're going to keep going and look at verse 15 and 16 because there's more to how God gives assurance to his people. So let's, let's get started. Look with me at verse 15. Romans chapter 8, verse 15 says, For you do not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Screaming out, Father, is part of the assurance that God gives to his people. Now, these, uh, this verse, we're going to break it up into three, three little parts. Paul makes a contrast between a slave and a son, and then he says, this is what a son does. He cries out, Father. So let's, let's look at the first part. One, we are no longer slaves. Verse 15. Paul had just done another contrast in saying that, in verse 12, that we are no longer slaves or ob- obliged to the flesh. We are obligated to walk in the Spirit. And Paul now says to them, and says to the people in Rome, the church in Rome, you are no longer a slave. What does he mean by that? The person that is a slave that results in fear constantly looks to God as his judge and is a slave of sin. Apart from trusting in Christ, all of us are under sin, is what Paul has been saying from chapter 1 until here. Paul had started with, with this in the first three chapters of Romans, which he kind of summarized in verse, three, uh, verse 9. Look with me at Romans chapter 3, verse 9, to understand the slavery, what it means to be a slave of sin. Romans chapter 3, verse 9. He's not making up something new. He's not transitioning to something new. This is something that he has been saying all along in the whole book. Romans chapter 3, verse 9. For we have already charged, he's talking about himself, that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. Paul continues on in chapter 5. Look with me at chapter 5, verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 12. He explains more about what it means to be in sin and to be a slave of it. Chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, through Adam, and death through sin, so death spread to all men, because all sinned. The slavery that is gone is the slavery to sin, the slavery to the spiritual death that all men have when they are not in Christ. So Paul continues on in chapter 6 and explains more. Not only death, there is more to sin. Look with me at chapter, chapter 6, verse 20 and 21. So that we can understand what we're not anymore. Romans chapter 6, verse 20 and 21. When you were slaves to sin, there it is, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. So Paul is continuing on now in chapter 8 and says, Listen, if you are in Christ, you are no longer a slave of sin. There is no spiritual death waiting for you because Christ has paid for it and it no longer controls you. Does this mean that a Christian cannot experience fear because the, because the reality of the situation is that he's no longer a slave of sin? Of course. Every time we sin, 
we run back to sin, we turn our backs to God in a way, we start distancing ourselves from God, and what does sin do? Any sin that you and I do every day of our lives produces addiction or instability or emptiness. And so we start fearing again, oh no, maybe God is like me, maybe because I have to turn my back on God, he said, okay, deal's off, you're, you, you're done. But Paul is saying, you're no longer a slave. You no longer have to fear that God's wrath is upon you and that there's something that you can do to earn it back or to lose it or to risk it off. Right? Paul has already been saying in verses 12 and 13 that if you're really in Christ, the Spirit will lead you to kill sin. And so a, a, a true believer will never stay in sin. But this fear, he says, is gone. But you know what? If you are just playing church, if you've just been coming to church all your life, like I did when I was young, all the way to 17, till God showed me that I was not really his son, can you really overcome this fear? Can you really deal with the reality that there, you should have fear if you're not in Christ? No. You can't be more religious. You can't read the Bible more to make it up to God. So, there is real fear if you are not in Christ. You can't make it up to God because you have to come to him on, your ter- on his terms, not on your terms. God will never accept anybody on their terms. He never did it with Israel. Israel tried to always negotiate with God. Can we have you and ba- Baal? No, can't do that. And so you see throughout the whole Old Testament how God tries to remind them that they need to let go of the idols. I'm actually reading Leviticus, and it's scary because he says, don't be like the other nations. Don't do this and this and this and this. Don't sleep with your mom. Don't sleep with your aunt. Don't sleep with, uh, with animals. Don't, those are, that's how they are living. You are, you are to be holy. So throughout, and what happens? Israel receives this great grace from God, and yet what do they do? They run back to their idols right away. Right at the Mount Sinai where they receive the Ten Commandments, they make an idol, and they worship that idol. So we see how, how Israel fails, and they become slaves, exiles to other nations, and then they come back in their own country, and they're slaves to the Romans in their own country. Because there is no way you can stop being a slave outside of Christ. How do you see God? How do you relate to God? Right? We can be passionate and enjoy Christian music, but it's because of the melody, not because of God. Is it is he distant? When you think of God and getting through church, the best part of church is when it's over. <laughs> right? <laughs> is he just some like this guy you gotta just kind of stand his good side before he starts lashing out at you because he's kind of uncontrollable? We have to be honest with ourselves, right? Because there is real fear and there is real things at stake, which is your soul and others around your souls. If this is you, if you are not in Christ, if you are just pretending, then don't ignore your fear. Don't let somebody tell you, oh, it's not a big deal. Because God has been telling us throughout the whole Bible that he will not excuse sin. Somebody's got to pay for the sin. You or somebody else. 
And that leads us to the second point of the first point. Big, the big point is salvation is assured to a church because they cry out to God as Father. So we said that Paul says, we are no longer slaves. And he says, now he answers the question, how can you be certain? How can you deal with this real fear? Look at me at verse 15 again. He says, for you do not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. All right, so how do I deal with this fear? How, how do I deal with this, with this going on in my life? If, if I'm not a believer, I am a slave. How do I deal with it? He says, but you received the spirit of sonship. Two, the second point of this big point is, we're no longer slaves, but we're sons. And we received it, he says. You didn't earn it. He's just, he, he just reminding them again. Listen, you put your faith in Christ and you become a son. You deal with your fear by turning to Christ. You don't deal with your fear by making it up to God or by looking inside of you for something good or by saying, oh, that's not a big deal. God will forget about it because I did. We engage with God on his terms and in his way. And what's the way that God made it possible to become free of slavery, of sin, and to be assured that we are his children? It's by, it's by turning to Christ. Don't ignore your fear. I had, whenever I am, because I'm still confronted with doubts and fears, whenever I look at my doubts and I say, yeah, I, I'm terrible. I'm, I'm not a good enough Christian. And I'm, and I'm supposed to be preaching Sunday, and look what I did. And I, whenever you look to yourself, you should despair because you're never, ever, going to be able to do enough for God. And that's where I'm so glad that I have this godly, uh, godly wife-to-be. It says, Bruni, look, look to Jesus again. And that's, the, and that's what Paul is saying to his people here in Rome. Remember that you're no longer slaves. Keep that in mind and keep remembering that you have been made sons of God. You have received, you have been converted because you have repented of your sins and you dealt with it by turning to Christ. For us, that's it's kind of weird when we hear a spirit of sonship. Paul uses Greek words here, of course, in the original, and he's talking about adoption. We are the adopted sons of God, he's saying. And for us, it's kind of weird because adoption, eh, I grew up in a church, uh, well, I grew up in a certain circles where adoption was like, uh, you're going to do, you're going to adopt somebody if you've got no other choice. Right? You're not going to, you don't want somebody else's kid, you want your own kids. Right? But in the Roman times, adoption was huge. Right? A guy would adopt a boy and he would give him his name. And he would give him everything he has. And the son was loved sometimes even more than the biological children. And Paul says, listen, you are God's children. You have been adoptive adopted. You are no longer what you were. You're, you, you're no longer slaves. You're now his children, and there's no going back. And that's why Paul says, this is the, 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 the third little point in the big point, we scream out, Father. How do we know we are his children? True Christians scream out, cry out to God, you're my Father. If you ever listen to a, 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 a person praying, and you don't hear him saying, Father, or they go through this ritual of how they pray. I know I've done it. I was taught to pray a sermon when I was a kid. There's a problem, right? There's a sign. 
Paul saying that deep inside, a Christian that has been saved and is no longer a slave is in Christ, he has this longing and he cries out to God, you're my father and I want you and I need you and I've messed up again and I need you now. Christians love their father. That's, that's part of the affirmation. You love talking to God. He is your dad. You love talking to him. And you don't obey him because you, you, you have to. Have you ever talked to a child? Why are you doing your homework? My mom told me to. Why are you cleaning your, your room? I got to do it. My mom, my mom told me to. You want to do it? No, but I got to because I don't want to make mom unhappy. And if I do, then she's going to take me to the bathroom and she's going to like pull down my pants and start spanking me and stuff. And I just, I don't want to go there. Oftentimes, that, that's kind of how I've seen God. I, I, and, and God has been teaching me to realize there's no more fear. If God does discipline us, like it says in Hebrews, he does it with love. He does it with care, and he restores us and grows us in the faith. A true Christian meets God on his terms in Christ, and he trusts that when God says he's a son, if his feelings inside, because he has failed again or she has failed again, tell him otherwise, I'm not going to listen to that. I love the song before um, the, the throne of God above. The second verse says, And when Satan comes and tempts me to despair, I look, I look to him, and I know that I am righteous before God. The devil will tempt you to think that you are still a slave. I can't tell you how many boys and guys I've talked to in dealing with lust dealing with anger, they've given up. They have believed that lie that they are slaves and there's no way out. But Paul is saying, you are a son of God and there is no more slavery. You are done. You are freed from that forever. So what's driving your obedience to God, Park Hills? Is it fear of punishment? Or is it deep gratitude? Is it a real love for your father, because he's so close, you know him. He's not that guy far away that you just kind of do good stuff on Sunday for. Is calling him father meaningless? Is it hard because you had a bad father? Our society is filled with bad fathers, absent fathers, abusive fathers, distant fathers. But that's not who God is. That's not who Paul says that God, our father, is. He is that father that we have always longed for. And he just can't wait for you to go to him and cry out to him. And when you've done the worst thing possible, that's when you should cry out to God. Because that's the biggest desire, the deepest desire of a Christian's life. They cry out to God, and, and that's, part of assuring your, that, that's part of the assurance that God gives to, to his people. Let me just show you one more thing, and we're done today. Verse 16 is kind of like verse 14. The affirmation that God gives his children is because of the swearing of the Holy Spirit. That's number two. One, we scream out, Father, we're, we're, we're no longer slaves, we're sons, and now we, 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 we realize, Paul says, it's the Spirit that testifies with our spirit that we are his. Just like, I'm killing my sin, 
because the Spirit of God has given me that strength to do it in the, in the way that I love Jesus. Not only does the Spirit give us the desire to cry out to God as, their, as, as our Father, He assures us. Every Christian, Paul says, has a testimony in them, meaning the, the Spirit of God actually communicates. Did you notice how he says the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children, and then he doesn't explain it? It's like, I want to know, okay, like, is it like a soft voice? Is it a high voice? Is it a low voice? Is it, what is it, you know? Paul doesn't explain it. He just says, if you are in Christ, you will hear him speaking inside of you. Now look what else he says. He, he says, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children if you speak in tongues. No. Right? Paul, in this chapter, doesn't talk about the, the, the spiritual gifts, and it's kind of interesting that he doesn't point to any spiritual gifts, though they are very important to the church. The gift of speaking in tongues is important to the church. I'm not making fun of it. Though Baptists don't like to say that. We like to say other things like prophecy and preaching. That's important, too. All the gifts that the Spirit gives. You can be a great preacher, and you can pretend to speak in tongues and not be a Christian. The, the, the testimony that, that the Spirit gives is separate from the gifts that the, that the Spirit gives to His people. Now, look, look what Rossi says. He says, the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit. Did he say that He testifies with our spirit when we're good? Did he say that He testifies with our spirit when we're reading our Bible every day? Does, does He say that, he, that the Spirit testifies with our spirit at the beginning of our Christian life? No. A true Christian will have the testimony, will hear the Spirit speaking to him or her throughout his entire life. So now that begs the question, I have heard the Spirit of God speaking to me, but this last year I have not. He's, he's, he's far away from me. I, I want to get back to him. I want to hear God confirming in my soul that I am his, but I, I just don't hear it anymore. Paul doesn't explain this. I'm going to pull from other scriptures, but I'm going to show you one thing he says, and that is crucial in verse 12 and 13. He says, If by the Spirit we put to death the deeds of the flesh. When you hold on to sin, you grieve the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 4 says, and you distance yourself from him, and so you're not going to hear him anymore as much. And if you think that gossip is not a big deal, and you just kind of keep doing it over the past 20 years of your life, oh, it's okay, I'm, I'm asking, I'm just giving my sister and the Lord some prayer requests. Oh, I'm just, I'm just letting you know. I'm, uh, you, you, I, I just want to let you know what's going on. you got to be in the know. So if you think that gossip is not a big deal, and you keep doing it, it's not like God agrees with you. It's not like God says, oh, you're right, it's not a big deal. No, you, you, you are not killing the flesh, and so you're not going to hear that testimony. Recently, I was very convicted by that, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to recommend to you what I'm going to do next, next weekend. I'm going to go, and I have a close friend of mine named Oliver, and I'm going to confess every sin I can think of. You need to confess to God, but James 5.16 says you need to confess to the church. Confess your sins to one another. You want God's assurance in your life. You want him to testify with you and give you boldness and walk faithfully with him. You need to confess your sins and kill your sins, right? Romans 8, 12, and 13. 
I want to encourage you to deal with doubts and fears that are coming in your life because they're real. What's another thing that may be happening in your life that's preventing you to hear the testimony of the Spirit aside from killing off your sin and holding on to it? Let's say you've been, you start confessing your sin to God. God, I'm done with this sin. I don't want to confess it, but I'm confessing it. I'm done. And, and, and then you tell somebody in the church and you confess it to a brother and sister say, you know, and telling him, I'm tired of holding on to this. Here, this is, this is what I've done. These are the kinds of sins that I've been struggling with. Another thing you have, that you have to keep in mind is that we have an enemy. I mentioned it before. You have an enemy that does not sleep. And the devil loves to accuse you and loves to point to you how terrible you are. L- look what a terrible mother you are. You, know, you haven't been talking to your, to your children about Jesus whole week. Look what you did. You haven't even disciplined your child this week. You looked at that again? Are you sure you're a Christian? Oh, you've told so-and-so again that your best friend did this. Are you sure you're a Christian? We are in war against the evil one. Ephesians 6 talks about that. Our testimony with God is clear, but we have to battle for it. Did you notice one thing? Verse 12 and 13, you have to fight against sin. The Spirit is leading you. You cry out, Father, and desire Him, and go after Him, and pray to Him. Why? Because the Spirit is testifying, and He will keep confirming. There is always an active attitude in the life of a true Christian. If there's no activeness, if you're just passive, I've heard somebody tell me, um, oh, it's God, it's up to God. You know, I'm, if he wants me to be saved, I'm just going to wait for him to save me. If God is really working in your life, you turn to him and you say, Lord, save me. Lord, help me. Lord, I give this up to you and I need you. Brothers and sisters, rejection is real. Rejection can be real for eternity. Park Hills, I want to encourage you to bring people to realize that the fear of the Lord is true, but then point them to Jesus right away. Our testimony, our assurity is given to us by God. I never tell somebody, oh, don't worry about it. You accepted Jesus in your life yet last year. I never do that. I'll ask them, oh, why? What's going on? What are you thinking? Who, who can I help you? Po- Where do you think I should point you to? And I walk them through. And I think that's one of the biggest things we can do as a church. We walk through and don't disregard when somebody has doubt and fear because they may be lost. They may be playing Christian. Or maybe there's sin that they have not confessed. Or maybe they're in disobedience to the Lord in some other way. We need to walk with them and point them back to Christ and, and ask them, who are you trusting in? Brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you, trust in Christ, point people to Christ, point non-Christians to Christ, because he is the only answer, and he desires to give us all things because we are his children, and he wants to assure us all for his glory and our good. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for 
saving us from the slavery of sin. Father, forgive me for not treasuring that this week. Father, forgive me for playing with doubts and fears, and I pray for those here that have been playing with doubts and fears, playing with sin and not confessing it. Father, would you give us the grace to cry out to you, to hold on to you, to come to you on your terms and put our faith in Christ again and again. Father, I pray for this church that they would be a church that is, is, is ready to face the reality of the situation. Father, would you build us up today and fill us with your spirit to walk boldly with the gospel and to hold on to you looking forward to heaven. Give us a longing to see Jesus face to face. It's all for your glory. I pray in his name. Amen.